your messenger, bless your word, and impact the hearers in Jesus' name. Amen. And so be it. Would you turn and greet three people and tell them it's good to see you on this Thursday evening and before you have a seat. are wrapping up and concluding ladies part well every single Christian ladies parts um want to recap because I want to make sure you get this I said a lot of things but I wanted to make sure you got this in this most simplistic form um you all are pretty bashful and so you didn't ask questions at the end of service but then I got a few questions any old way so I want you to write this number down because my little Miss Tamika Gross over there texted me and let me know that there's a way in which y'all can text me uh, your questions if you want to remain anonymous, and I can read it right from my phone. How about that? Where'd she go? She ain't over there. Love me some her. But anyway, write this number down, 770-674-6922. Text your question to that number. I hope this works. It works when my husband tested it for me, but 770-674-6922. You can text me your questions and remain anonymous. I do have a few questions that I'll answer at the end of service, but in the meantime, I'm going to pick up and want to review very quickly. Um, We understand, we're talking about ladies' parts, and we started off talking about just what Genesis has to say about humankind, and with humankind, God gave us both sets of people, man and woman, basic bedrock spiritual assignments and foundations. Number one, he said, let's create man in our image. We know we're made in the image of God, but number one, be fruitful. Being fruitful means to develop, to grow, to enhance, to learn, to be beneficial, produce good results. Man and woman alike had the assignment to develop grow, attain, to be beneficial, to produce good results. Man and woman alike are expected by God to gain understanding, to get your education, get your certifications, get whatever it is that God has ordained you to get. He never meant for his people to be mediocre. Some of you are out there, you need to finish that GED, go after it. It was one, one of the mothers here was 60-something years old. I won't say her exact age because you might know who she But she came in here she, a, a, a few years earlier. She had said she wanted to go back and GED, get her GED. I encouraged her. She came back about a year and a half later screaming and hollering through the doors of, a, of, of FCC. I got it. I got it. Now, mind you, I ain't thinking about what she got. But she got that GED at 60-something years old. Amen. But man and woman alike, God expects you to develop your mind, to gain knowledge, to grow. Number two, he says multiply. He expects his people that he created in the earth to be like him. God is exponential. When he said light be, light is still being today. So he expected you to prosper, to increase, to generate, to profit, to abound, to excel, to heap, to have minty, to be plenteous. He expects his people to be identified by their prosperity in thought and possession as well in spirituality and in their considerations. He meant that for y'all. 
Number four, number three, he said, and to replenish. Now we're talking about making babies. Now we're talking about repopulating. Now we're talking about spreading wide, reproducing, to make full or complete again, to supply and renew. God said, let's make man in our own image so that they can be fruitful, multiply, and replenish. Along with that, they will subdue. In other words, they came here, God expects that we conquer, bring into subjection, to overpower by a superior force, to bring under control, to reduce to intensity, to force or... uh, or uh, vividness of, and to render void. In other words, God knew that there was an adversary in the earth when he created man and woman. And he, when he created man and woman, he equipped them, he assigned them to subdue. We already know day one, Adam was running those animals, so it wasn't the animals. He was running every creeping thing, every crawling thing, and every flying thing. So it wasn't the animals that he had to subdue, not by force, not by declaring null and void. It was the adversary that God knew was in the earth. And then he said to dominate, to have dominion over, to rule over, to govern, to control, to tower above, to prevail against, to reign and take over. Now, when man fell, none of that changed. The assignment still stands. That's what you are in the earth today. The only difference now that there is a hard line that should identify the Christian and everybody else. Okay? That's Genesis. That's all Genesis chapter 1 right there. And then we understand woman's foundational creation. Every woman, I don't care who she is or what she proclaims, if she denies it, she's just in denial. But every woman has basic needs. When she got on the earth... She, the earth was in order. Woman requires order. You want to know women, why women are specifically more inclined to be administrators or to be the one that runs the home and everything else? Because she's used to order. There's different levels of order, but she is used to order. Her order, my order, and her order might look different. To me, her order might look like chaos, and my order to her might look like chaos. But you know what? It's our order. Minister Deanna Joe and I were talking a couple of weeks ago, and, and we have this one, this one thing in common. Before we cook, we have to clean up the entire kitchen. I got, where'd she go? I got you. I, I, I just have to. I, I, I don't feel comfortable cooking unless I clean up my kitchen and I will put everything away, knowing I'm about to pull out half of it. But I'll pull it out, wash it, let it dry. I can't sit down at my desk unless my desk is completely organized and put together the way I need for it to be put together, and then I'll start working, only to make it a mess. But it's my order. Woman, you require order. You do. You feel dysfunctional when you just are plopped in something and said, go. Now, man, he'll be like, okay, where is this? Where is that? And he'll pick it up. Not us. Woman requires security. When she got on the earth, when she arrived, her home was set. He had a job. Provision was made. The security was there. She requires security. A woman will do whatever she needs to do to make sure her basic needs are met. Even if that means abandoning domestic responsibility. If you ain't paying the bills, guess what she's going to do? 
She's going to get up and get a job to get, make sure those bills are paid. She will. She'll kick into gear because she cannot function properly, whatever level it is, if she's concerned at night that when she wakes up in the morning, the water might be off. She's twisted all. She's not right. So woman, I mean, especially, you know, those of you that may be dating, I know he's cute. I know he's nice. But if he's concerned about getting a cell phone bill paid every other month, step back and let God do it. Just let him figure that out. Because when you get married, you're getting married as a woman, not as a mother. Another foundational necessity for woman to know is that she was created as a result of desire. You are worth the pursuit. You are the good thing. You are the treasure. You are that which is valued above rubies. You are the reason why God gives him favor. You are worth the pursuit. Understand this. There's a difference between chase and pursuit. When you're being chased, you're running with the intention of not getting caught. <laughs> Don't no man want to chase you down. And it's becoming clearer and clearer to after a while, it's going to become clear to him that you don't want to be caught. You are worth the pursuit, however. And remember, in the pursuit, there is a difference between being thirsty and showing interest. There's a difference between being thirsty. Y'all know what I'm talking about. For those of you that were born before 1960, being thirsty is not talking about Sprite, quench your thirst. Being thirsty is being desperate for a man's attention. There's a difference, but you are worth the pursuit. In this day and age, there is so, women have become more and more of the aggressors. And one of the questions that I have, I will talk about that. Women have become more and more of the aggressors only to find out that's not really what I wanted in the first place. I was after the package and didn't check out the content. Number four, foundational necessities for women to realize. You were created while man was asleep. He had nothing to do with your creation. It was all God and you, little lady. All God in you. So a man does not define you. A man does not complete you. A man does not take your social status up. A man does not have to take your social status down unless you let him. But if it takes a man to make you happy, let me duly warn you right now, you will never be happy. Too many people are more committed to the concept and the ideal of marriage, but don't want to be and are not committed to their spouse. A man, women, or a woman, men does not define you. However, you are the response of companionship. Companionship is necessary for you. That's number five. 
You were created, and there was already a being on the earth. Your first love is God. Your second love or your second uh, necessity or your second love was this companionship. Women, a lot of times when we're in sticky and crazy situations, it's often the result of other people being involved, isn't it? A man will wake up and his main issue or concern is how am I going to make some more money? We think about that, but most of our issues involve other people, relationships. For most women, companionship is necessary. For some, more than others. For some, I just need one friend, and that's it. For others, I got to hang with my entire clique, whatever it looks like. But for women, the companionship company is necessary. Understand this. As far as woman is concerned, I often say women will marry something or somebody. She will devote herself to something or somebody. A woman, because we were created in our first assignment in the earth, outside of being a daughter to God, was to be a what? A wife. Our first assignment was to be a wife. So you're going to wife something or somebody. You will. Oprah Winfrey, she's married to Harpo. Industries. Some women are married to their children. Some women are married to their careers. Some women are really married to their husbands. Some women are married to their hobbies. Some women are married to themselves, but they're going to fully devote themselves to something or someone. That's a good thing. It just needs to be properly managed and identified. Number six, present. God had time alone with woman before he presented her to Adam. You were God's present to man. You were not broken goods. You were not leftovers. You were not an afterthought. You were a present to God. And after he had his time with you, then he presented you, Eve, to Adam. He presented. He didn't have her sashay by. It says specifically that God presented her to him. And then he was like, okay, woman. That was his first thing. That was what he called her. And then you require. A lot of times we deny it. I know when I was in my dating stages, I just knew that, you know, hey, we can prepare and just go at it together. But you require that person, especially single ladies and even married women, you require him to be prepared for you. I know, you know, a lot of times we're going to build our life together. We're going to do this thing together. I'm right or die. <laughs> it's me and him against the world. We can do this. Nothing's wrong with goals and ambitions that you'll acquire later in life, but there's some basic, what I just talked about, necessities that need to be in tow. They just need to be in tow. And a lot of times we get so caught up in the aspect or the concept of or the ideal of the relationship that we'll sort of gloss over those necessities. I promise you, they, it's, it's, it's like it's, it's part of your spiritual DNA. It's going to rise up. It's going to, whether it's within a week of dating or with a, whether it's within after 10 years of marriage, it's going to rise up. And the longer you take to go ahead and acknowledge that thing, that lack of preparation, 
the more explosive the confrontation can be. Now, after the fall, this is all review because I want to make sure you get this. After the fall, now we're in Genesis chapter 3, that serpent that was more subtle than all the other beasts of the field, of the field, not of the garden, but of the field. He comes in there and he swoons Eve for periods of time, you know. A lot of times, you know, we, uh, this was one of the questions. I'm going to go ahead and answer this now. It was one of those, you know, someone who just wanted to know, so I thought it was a good question. But I had made mention that it wasn't like Satan came in on day 8 and Eve fell on day 9 and then they were banned from the garden on day 10. Satan, his tactics haven't changed. Same tactics, different people, and different times. That's all. But he came in there and he lured her in day after day after day. He talked to them and had conversations with them. I mean, you know, because just imagine a snake coming up. Adam just got through naming the snake. Don't nothing else talk to him. Then all of a sudden this thing comes up. It's, it had to have taken a month just to get past that shock, don't you think? One, the question was, how long did I think? Now, you know, this is strictly opinion. So there's nothing that, that, you know, that I can really point to and say, this is what it says. But I really believe when Jesus, you know, all theologians say Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. And it was a kind of redemptive period from Moses when he was in the wilderness with the children of Israel for 40 years. I don't think Jesus' redemption period just started with Moses. I think it went all the way back to Adam because, after all, God called him the second Adam, not the second Moses. So I really believe that it probably took 40 years for Adam and Eve to fall. I really believe that. I think it took Satan 40 years to wooze them and swoon them and and tempt them and talk to them and finally say, you know, Eve, you know you want some of this. You can touch it. Look, touch it. She touches it and didn't do nothing. And then after some days, he comes along and say, now, see, I bet you you can eat it because he just don't want you to be like him. Mind you, Eve fell. Now, this is, uh, I, I call it this woman after the fall. This is the next segment, woman after the fall. The first thing woman fell to was deception. The first thing woman fell to was deception. And nothing has changed. Women up to this day, we don't get, we get upset if he cheats. We get upset if we were, you know, if he lied to us or whatever. But the biggest issue is that we felt stupid because we fell for the deception. We fell for the illusion or the image and to this day, we still, women, if we are sharp in our Christ-like walk, we will still fall for the same okey-doke over and over again. All you got to do is turn on TV, turn on reality TV. It's a big old roller coaster ride that just keep going and going and going and going. Woman's demise has been deception. They talk about it later on in 2 Timothy. God addresses it in chapter, and later on when he addresses them. But their, her fall or her stumbling block, the big thing for a woman is to watch that area of deception. What's alluring. Now, all of us do this, all, all, men and women, but especially for women because when you look at Scripture, it talks about how she was the one that, that was deceived. Man simply disobeyed. And to this day, men have, when we identify men, men usually have a problem with what? 
said it? Authority. They have issues simply obeying. Unless they're in Christ, like all the men are in here, till this day, if you go to any prison in any country around the world, it's going to be predominantly filled with, look at the women's prison and the men's prison, it's going to be triple, quadruple times men than there is in women. Men have a propensity to just outright be rebellious and disobedient. Don't nobody, I don't want nobody telling them what to do. I don't want nobody in my business. We understand that when, the, the, when, she, when she recognized and before she took of the fruit, woman said it appealed to her and to mankind alike. So this actually should be under mankind, but I have this under the women since I'm addressing the, uh, the ladies' parts right now. But number two, the lust of the flesh countered the replenishing part of God's assignment in the earth. Lust of the flesh re- countered the replenishing aspect of what God put man on the earth to do. Lust of the eyes countered the multiplying, the prosperity, and the proud of, pride of life countered being fruitful. The lust of the flesh countered replenishing, repopulating. Lust of the, because, you know, everybody want to have sex, but they don't want to repopulate. Very first thing the devil did with, with Jesus after he came out of the wilderness was what? Lust of the flesh. If you, if you all that, turn this here stone into some bread. Remember? Lust of the flesh countered replenishing. Lust of the eyes countered multiplying. Proud of life countered being fruitful. Number three, after they fell, man and woman alike became more sensitive to their disadvantages than to their advantages. They became more sensitive to their disadvantages than to their advantages. In other words, when he said that they knew that they were naked, so they hid, they saw immediately what came alive was what was missing, what was wrong. And if we are not careful, women because we are help meets, we are strategic. We always identify. We could, her shoes are old. She's 25 feet away, t- whole outfit tight, but her shoes are torn up. We could, am I the only one? I- Do we not have a sensitivity to what's wrong? A lot of times we're, he wants us around because she'll tell me if something's wrong. Husbands, if you're, willing to, if, you, if you're big and bad, how many of you have wives? And you, you know, you have your wife along because you know if there's something that you need to be extra sensitive to and discerning, let's make it spiritual. I need uh, the spirit of discernment with me. <laughs> we'll bring our wives. You'll bring your wives along and she'll let you know right up front, something about them not right. Something just didn't feel right. You better watch it. I can't put my finger on it, but something about that situation. Just a, what, or or she, if she's really sweet, she's like, baby, did you think about asking this? Did you think about doing this? It's good, but just know it can be perverted. Where that discernment turns into suspicion. And then we got issues trusting folks. Okay? Number four. Well, then with number three, I put down here, Satan convinced her that she wasn't good enough. Thus, they did eat. Satan has been ebbing, that whole same thing under that deception. Satan has been ebbing under the, at the woman's self-esteem since day one. 
There's never any mention about his conversations with, with Adam, but I'm sure since day one, and his conversations with Eve kept reminding her, he don't want you to eat and get knowledge of good and evil because he wants you to be like him. You're not as smart as him, but if you do this, you're not as beautiful as, as I once was. You, don't, you understand? Ebbing at that self-esteem since day one. Number four, she will be subject to worrisomeness, fear, and anxiety, increased sorrow. When God, later on in Genesis chapter 3, starts talking about now the consequences of her deception and disobedience and his disobedience, he said that she would be played with sorrow in conception. So when you look up the word sorrow there, it says that she will be subject to worry, anxiety, fear, being very heightened and alert to comparisons. This is all after the fall without Christ. Not just in conception, but but especially in conception, but in grief and fear, which some women is more apt to receive. Now, I was reading that from the Matthew Henry commentary, where she would be more subject to the emotional downgrades of life. You know, when bad news hits, she'll be more the propensity for her to respond negatively will be heightened and she'll respond emotionally first before the cognitive aspect of her being shows up. Number five, she becomes subject to man. After the fall, God says that your desire will be towards a man. Mind you, I looked that up because I'm like, I just assumed that it meant husband. Your desire will be towards your husband. But it said towards a man. And when I looked it up, it said any man. A woman will want to have a man by her side. Didn't I just get through telling y'all that man didn't have nothing to do with her creation? Didn't I just get through telling y'all that it was between her and God first? But because of the fall, the very thing that she fell to in that guise of deception, now she's subject to it. And if you look throughout history... I'm not talking about just American history or European history or Western history. I'm talking about ancient history. There has been a war of power between man and woman ever since the beginning of time. We left off, and this is where you're picking up, Lady and the Tramp, Proverbs chapter 5. I don't want to read it again. I want to make something clear. All of us have a past. At one time in my life, I was the tramp. I'm saying this on SoundCloud across the 14 countries and over 200,000 listeners. I was once a tramp. If you slept with anyone that was not your husband, it qualifies right here. And Proverbs chapter 5, we read it. She is seductive, kaboom. She is sexy, kaboom. She knows how to work it, kaboom. She can flutter her eyelashes, kaboom. Okay? Nothing's wrong with feeling good about yourself, but when it takes all this to get them, I mean, people are injecting, filling, plucking, pulling, stuffing, Attaching? 
I mean, going to bed at night has to be an hour-long process. They were talking about one of the celebrities, what does she pay for her nails, her eyelashes, her injections, her, her butt injections, her Botox, her uh, boob job and the maintenance. I mean, at the end of it all, they said she, uh, it averaged out to be about $17,000 a month. And I'm like, I just, I mean, I want everybody to live a long life, but I really want to see what she looks like when she turns 70. It's going to be a puzzle. But this woman who depends on her body to get the attention of a man, after a while, she don't care where he is in life, whether he's married or not. That desire is towards a man, any man. So it's about whether he's there to pay a bill, whether he's there to keep a company, whether he's there to play daddy. If she's not careful. And today, now mind you, not in this church in Jesus' name, especially not in this crowd, but I have seen the best of them come into church to trip up ministers, to trip up men of God, to prove a point. Young man trying to get his life right. Somebody from his past want to come in and let everybody know he a freak. He nasty. He ain't no good. She'll do that. You know, game recognizes game. But it's crazy that game always get played, doesn't it? Woman should be alluring, but not forward. Woman should be alluring, but not forward. In other words, what am I saying? He don't need to be able to read the entire book on the first. Some parts of that book shouldn't be open until after marriage. So we don't have to just keep it 100 and share the whole life story. I just want to get it out there so he know what he's dealing with and share the whole life story. Proverbs chapter 5, as well as uh, Jesus when he accounted the woman at the well. Remember her? Jesus knew by the Spirit what was going on with her. And she went back and told the people, he told me everything about myself. But after five husbands, how many of you know, uh, five men, five husbands, and the one she was with was not her husband. How many of you know, she probably told her whole life story many a times before. Because they came running without her having to repeat it, which meant, oh, if he knew it, then we, and we know it. All right. Number four, a woman filled with sin, this is that 2 Timothy chapter 3, 5, and 7, will always cost you more than you want to pay, make you stay longer than you want to stay, and make you do what you will regret you've done later. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 5 through 7 talks about uh, staying away from how men will, in in these last, in these, the end of days, perilous times will come, and men will be lovers of themselves, deceivers, adulterers, and feminine, all these things. And then it says that they'll creep into silly women's homes laden with sin, having the form of godliness, but not the power thereof. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the believers. He's saying that men having the form of godliness, going back to that deception piece, will come into silly women's homes laden with sin because they have not gone back and identified themselves as a true daughter of God that they are. Taking them captive in their own sins that they end up 
unintentionally being that Proverbs chapter 5 woman. Because she's deceived, she will and can entice you to disobedience and regret. Proverbs chapter 5 talks about that, how she, her, path, her pathway leads to Hades and how her ways are of the enemy. Number six, the fall of most great men was due to a woman. The fall of most great men was due to a woman from Adam to Alexander the Great to Hitler to, I'm not going to mention recent history stuff. Amen. Now, I want to pick up with Proverbs chapter 31. Real quickly, I'm going to address Proverbs chapter 1 because this right here is an outline of what a woman should be or what a woman, what God says she should aspire to be. And mind you, to the hundred or so ladies that are here, you are a rare find and you should treat yourself and carry yourself as such. You are a rare find. He says a virtuous woman, not a virtuous wife, not a virtuous girlfriend, not a virtuous fiance. He said a virtuous woman who can find for her value is far above rubies. Virtuous right there means strong, a strong woman who can find for her value is far above rubies. In other words, she is more, I mean, it's more important for you to have a strong woman in God than it is that she's beautiful, than it is that she's smart, than it is she's a six-digit, seven-digit money earner, than it is that she's popular in her social clubs, than it is by her parents and what they do and have accomplished. It's important that you have a strong woman of God. But the enemy has come in and perverted what strong really looks like. So we're going to go back to the grassroots of what God says strong is. Proverbs chapter 31, from beginning from 1 to 31, what it is, and people have tried to identify it as, oh, this is uh, Solomon's mother calling him by his nickname, telling him what he needs to look in for in a woman. That might be true. I don't know. All I know is verses 1 through 31 are the alphabet is the alphabet of the are the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and this is a poem by which the writer, this Solomon, learned so that he would be able to identify and teach generations to come what a virtuous woman looks like. Mind you, this is the only place where this is capsulized in one synoptic format. We know we identify men of God; it's just spread all over the place. But it was so important to God that he put the recipe in one spot so that we can readily identify it. So I'm going to pick up at chapter uh, chapter 31, verse 10. Proverbs 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? I already said that virtuous woman right there means strong. She has to be a strong woman before she is ever a strong wife, a strong friend, a strong mother. She has to be a strong woman of God. She has to have her identity rooted in him, him being God, him being Jesus, him being the creator of all things, him being Elohim, Alpha, Omega, beginning, end, author, finisher of our faith, not based off of what she looks like, but what's within her. Number two, verse 11, the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that she will have no need of spoil. Here, the husband could be, the word husband there, it doesn't necessarily mean one that is betrothed, but it means any man. In other words, you can be single woman, woman of God. You can be single today and still do your husband good and not evil and 
allow him to be at a place today before you even know who he is where his heart does safely trust in you. And you don't even know who he is. By keeping yourself, remaining holy, having a name that's above reproach, by being honorable, commanding respect, being secure. It's one thing to love and be married but it's a, and, and, and to be in, in companionship and covenant with somebody. It's another thing to be codependent, needy. But when, you're, when you establish, I mean, Mr. Johnny, you, for a woman, for a, as a man, because you're married to a feisty little, little woman, Mama Diane. I should be asking them to because he's sitting right there, but because she's sitting there, he might, tell, might not tell me everything. But <laughs> she, it's, it's attractive to you that she doesn't need you, and she's not so dependent. She, she can rock her prayer life by herself. She can take care of business by herself. Now, it might not be, and he said, and she does. Now, it might not be the way you always want it to be done, but she, she can get it done, can't she? Friend of mine, man of God, from a very popular family, musical family, he said when he met his wife, he said, ain't nothing sexier than a confident woman. His heart does safely trust in her that he has no need of spoil. And not just in the fidelity piece. You know, of course, they're talking about fidelity, you know, that she's not, she's so good to him that he wouldn't want to cheat. Yeah, that's addressed here. But her handling of the household and their affairs allows him to go out and be prosperous and beneficial to his family. He has no need to seek outside advice, help, or assistance because it's getting done and handled in the home. He measures her too too valuable to risk the loss. Verse 12, she'll do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She is preparing and desiring to be pleasing to him beyond his lifespan. It says all the days of her life. So beyond, before they are married and even after his, if he transitioned first, she desires to do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Understand that there is a difference between companionship and competition. A lot of times I see married couples in relationship, in their marriage, and it's a matter of competing. She has to show him that she does this better than he does so that she can have this responsibility. And it's a back and forth, tick for tack. And even in their, in their discussions, it's a, who can get louder, he can, who can get more. Companionship does not equal competition. Hence, she will do him good, not evil, all the days of her life. 13, she seeketh wood and flack and worketh diligently with, hands, with her hands. In other words, she looks for ways to bless her family and is not idle with her hands. She, again, going back to that being fruitful, multiplying, and replenishing, she looks for ways to bless her family and not be idle. She's, she's always trying to look for ways to be productive. She's like the merchant ships. She brings forth her food from afar. She seeks out the best of what her family can afford. She does not attempt to live beyond her means. Men said, amen. She does not thrive to live beyond her means. Verse 15, she rises up while it is night, give meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She's fair and considerate of all those that tend to her affairs. She is fair and considerate to others that help her tend to her affairs. She's not willing to expect more than she's willing to provide for herself. She does not have unrealistic expectations. 
Virtuous woman does not have unrealistic expectations. She sees what it is. She assesses it and says, okay, I'm willing to put my hand into the plow as well. So when he's down and out, when you're, you know, because life happens. I remember when my husband, when, when all this stuff happened with us, and, and he wasn't 100%. I mean, I, I was dizzy half the time, but I, I, excuse the expression, but I had to man up. And I, I carried some weight. Uh, I remember back when, you know, back when we were still in Michigan, we had this goal to be debt-free. We're getting ready to have children. We had this goal to be debt-free. God spoke to me about a business that I should get involved in. I got involved in it. It came easy, came well. And, and, and you know, he said, okay, baby, we're going to be debt-free. I want to be debt-free. I want to pay off the house. I want to buy mama a house, da 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 Okay. And, and me and God... Me and God, because I'm praying to my God on my own. I have my own relationship with my God. It's not dependent upon whether Joel Gregory gets up and pray or not. I got my own relationship with my daddy. And he anointed me whereby after two years of starting my business, I was making three times as much as he was. So the money that came in, it was so quick. And mind you, I was only working 20, 30 hours a week. But I'm making, and that wasn't jump change. It wasn't jump change. I'm making three times as much as he was for the entire career up until we left. And then even two years after we left, we were able to become debt-free. And it wasn't that I took over his responsibility, because I'd come home and say, baby, here you go, big daddy, here's a check. We were partners for a goal. Amen? She considered fulfilled and she buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she's planted a vineyard. She, her purchases are profitable. Verse 16 basically says that her purchases, she, she considers a field. She thinks about what's necessary to be profitable for her husband, for her family. And when she buys it, the fruits of her hand, she goes and she works at it until it's profitable. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She is poised in self-control. She does not allow herself to be taken off guard. She is not ruled by exterior circumstances. Verse 18, she's confident of her work and of her value. She perceiveth her merchandise is good. Her candles go out, not out by night. She is confident of her work and of her value. She is not, again, she is not defined or allowing herself to be defined about what her husband does or does not do. Mind you, after verse 1 and all the way to all this in the middle, it doesn't even mention him. She stretches out her hand to the poor, yet she reaches forth her hands to the needy. She tends to the ways, she tends to always want to keep help, especially those that are less fortunate. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for her, all her households are clothed with scarlet. She prepares herself for what's to come. She anticipates what's happening, what's to come. She makes herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. She treats herself like royalty and makes provisions for herself. She treats herself like she's royalty. Of course, he'd have to be at the gate with all the people praising her. We'll get there later. Her husband is known, oh, is that, it was right after that. Her husband is known at the gates when he saith, when he sitteth among the elders. Because of her, he's admired. Um, a, a coach, oh, it's off the tip of my tongue right now, but there's a famous, famous football coach. Um, he was part of Promise Keepers. He said Caldwell. I can't remember if his, that's his name. There you go. Um, uh, 
Coach McCartney, he would say, if you want to know the character of man, look at the countenance of his wife. He said, if you want to know the character of a man, look at the countenance of his wife. And he said that, and mind you, he had, maybe, he had done something he had no business doing. And he looked over to his wife one day after having met, said this quote and preaching this quote all over the place and going out with promise keepers, and he looked over to his wife and saw that she was despondent and miserable. And he said he had to own that. Those words came back to haunt him, and he had to own that, step down and do what he needed to do to make sure she was taken care of. But for, for a virtuous woman... When all these other things are taken care of, it says that he is praised. He's known at the gates, and, he, and, and those people uh, admire him because of her. She makes fine linens. She sells it, delivers girdles to the merchants. She has a mind to prosper, and she's a successful businesswoman. You don't have to own a business to be successful at business. I believe a lot of women, because right now they're talking about how many women are moving up in corporate ladders. I think she got her master's degree first by running her home. CNN did a study, it was a five-year study, and they said for the housekeeping woman, for the, uh, the housewife who's married and a mother of at least two children, if you were to take all of her responsibilities and tasks, her earnings should be, now this is, mind you, in 2010, her earnings should be $135,000 a year. If you took a housewife and all of the things that she does, it says that her earnings should be $130,000 a year, $1,000 a year. So she has the mind to prosper and, is, and can be a successful businesswoman. Strength and honor of her clothing, she shall rejoice in time to come. Because of her consistent character and behavior, she's recognized and honored by many. Consistent character and behavior. She opens her mouth with wisdom and her tongue is a law of kindness. She speaks life and not complaints. Verse 27, she looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. She tends to her own house and does not meddle in the affairs of others. Verse 28, her children rise up, calls her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. She has her desired legacy. Verse 29, many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Though many women are successful, it's God's baby girl that has a grace and ability to get it done victoriously. 30. Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. God says she shall be praised. So whether he praises you or not, the husband, God says you shall be praised. When you do what's right because it's right, ha, please no sister honey girl. People will recognize it. Give her the fruit of her hands. Let her own works praise her in the gates. She can excel just from the fruits of her own labor. It's updated later on, of course, in Titus chapter 2, verse 3. One of the things that it says is the aged women likewise, they, uh, that, they be, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, holy women, not one who forments strife that they may teach the young women to be sober, love their husbands, love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. That right there in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, is a crunched down version of everything that Proverbs chapter 31, 10 through 31 has to say. Amen? Amen. Now, do I have any questions? Oh, I do. Okay. Here's one question, but let me answer these other two questions. These, I addressed one. 
says, I'm single. So many women are very aggressive and forward. How do I get a date without being the aggressor? I'm presuming that this is a single woman. Understand this. I just said it earlier, but, I mean, they have gotten this down to a science. There are ministries out there on how to Christian flirt. I mean, it's, it's a whole lot of stuff out there. And the days and times have changed. I mentioned that there's uh, a, a couple, they will be getting married sometime soon, and they're in their 60s, and they met online, through an online dating site. Um, there are very many different avenues to show yourself sociable, but I would, number one, stick with the principles. If you want friends, be friendly. Be kind. Understand that you want a friend first. So just because a dude stepped to you and said hi, stop, don't size him up to see if he's husband material. He just said hi. And I'm going to give a quick case scenario that I've seen happen time and time again. She's attracted to the dude. And he finally comes around and says hi. And she wants to play hard to get. Now, mind you, I'm talking about friends now, Okay. So if this was just a friend and you weren't attracted to him and he gets on the elevator and he says, hi, Natasha. And you would say what? Hi, how you doing, girl? And you would say, I'm fine, Tom, how you doing? And you would have a conversation, right? But now you're attracted to him. He gets on the elevator and he says, hi, your name is Natasha, right? Yes. How are you doing? Fine. If you are okay with having a conversation with a friend, what all of a sudden alienates him where you got to be stiffer? And this is a complaint that I've heard many, many times before coming from Christian men dealing with Christian women. So you don't have to be the aggressor, but it's okay to show interest. Um, you know, I often use the story of um, Ruth. And um, mind you, Ruth presented herself to Boaz. She laid herself at his feet while he was sleeping in his bed. <laughs> mind you, she had instruction from a wise woman confirmed with the peace of God. But she presented herself. So sometimes it's okay for even you to say, hi, how you doing? It's okay. I promise he won't bite you. If you said hi first, just don't, you know, you might want to ease up on, you want to go to coffee? You, know, go get, you might want to ease up on that, but it's okay to say hi. Just hi. Let's start at hi, two letters. <sighs> Brothers, am I right? it's okay to say hi, right? It doesn't mean that she's sizing you up. You're not instantly thinking she's she's trying to get you to the altar, would you? Maybe I'm wrong because they're not responding. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay, the second question. As a single, okay, this was interesting to me, but amen, I'm going to say it out loud. As a single person, How far is too far? 
assuming that we're talking about sex here or sexual behavior, Who can take fire in his bosom and not be burned? Abstaining from the very appearance of evil Thessalonians talks about. So when two private body parts touch, you've gone too far if you're not married. Because I promise you, the more that's practiced, stuff starts moving, hands start going, grinding start. My husband and I, we, I mean, we mastered the peck. We, we mastered the peck. And we got hot. We had to back up off of that. We had to back up off of that. I mean, because after a while, I was like, well, we were dating, I'm talking about. So you have to know you and your freaky self. Especially if you've been to the promised land before. Virgins, just keep it locked down. But if you've been to the promised land, you better back it up, surround it with styrofoam, plastic, whatever you got to do. And, and I, I think I know why this, is, this person probably asked this, because there is a practice out there or a belief out there that as long as we don't penetrate, it's still good. It's still holy. So, you know, and there will be an exercise of masturbation. There will be exercise of grinding, dry heaving, all this stuff. Well, this is our adults here, right? All right. Next question here is how to begin to move forward from infidelity to marriage while in church. Number one would be forgiveness. When they asked Jesus, how often should we forgive someone that has repeated the same offense? He said seven times 70, over and over and over again. Understanding that forgiveness is a two-part process. You have to forgive but you also have to embrace the healing process that goes along with forgiveness. And how do we know that we have forgiven? Because in, I mean, in my mind, there's people that I'm convinced I've forgiven them. I have forgiven them. I had forgiven them. We see each other. I saw this one young lady in the store. I mean, she did me wrong, dirty, nasty wrong. Saw her in a grocery store, and I said, oh, hey. <laughs> we lived together for two years. Surely there's something to talk about. But I didn't want to have no conversation with them. Now, you know, me, I'm not big on idle conversation anyway. I'm relatively quiet when I'm out in public. I am. But, but then when she came up behind me in line, I felt every hair on the back of my neck stand up. And I was like, why did she come over here? <laughs> All these lines at the grocery store, she came over here. And then she said, hey, Patty, so how you doing? And I got the creepies. And God arrested me. Say, okay, here's your next stage of forgiveness. When their company does not alter your attitude or your behavior. 
and then healing. How do I move forward from infidelity to marriage while in church? It's not just limited to... Please erase that you have to be one way in church and another way out in, out in the world. This is not a switch you turn on and off. This is a practice that has to be every day, all day, every day, all day, every day, all day. And not just with one individual, but with anybody that you have ought against. So, you know, I'm not understanding while, the, while in church, but, you know, you, just embracing what God's word has to say and, 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 and receiving your healing will help, you know, a lot. Um, and that healing process, whatever it looks like, means that you're going to have to practice. It's just like a muscle, you know. It's sort of a breakdown, build up, breakdown, build up. In small, small steps. You know, when I saw the young lady, I, you know, it was, the high was all I needed. The high, and probably if I saw her two weeks later, I probably would have been okay with her stepping in line with behind me. I don't know. But the fact that that happened helped me to say, okay, there's another, another hurdle for me to cross. Now, sincerely, if I was to see her today, I'm going to give her a hug. Hey, how you doing? That doesn't mean we need to be the, you know, like this again, but, okay. Another question that, uh, that came to me was, along these same lines, is I have suffered sexual violence. And I'm not now comfortable with sexual intercourse with my spouse. How do I recover? And that right there is something that you probably need to get some professional help with. Um, Assuming that your husband had nothing to do with that, um, you would need to get some professional help um, because that's a traumatic experience and I don't know to what extent you got help. God still commands us to forgive. You have to forgive. But as far as what that did to you internally, that needs, that's that's a whole nother, that's so individual. But I would encourage you. And it's unfortunate, the statistics are that one in four girls have been violated sexually in one way or the other by the time they're 21 years old. And um, it's sad uh, that we've gotten to this place in society. But, you know, thank God that you're at least reaching out, um, wanting to move forward and understanding this is why instead of the alternative that they think that that's all that life's about is sex. And so that's it. Are there any other questions out there? Yes, ma'am. We wanted to all be fluffy cotton unicorns and rainbows and daisies on green laced fields and, and, and marriage as beautiful as it is and as wonderful as it is and as enjoyable as it is, it's work. And if you don't learn how to be virtuous in your singleness, men and women, if you don't learn to embrace your singleness, you're going to take the same misery you suffer in your deal with in your singleness into a marriage, and all it's going to do is compound. It's going to tear away at the unit instead of build up the unit. Um, but thank you for making that statement. My mom and dad have suffered. I mean, I've seen my dad hit her. I, I've seen the uglies. They, they will be married 50 years next year. 
50 years next year. And I've seen them go through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, but you know what? You, you can't say nothing about young child Davenport. You better not say nothing about John Richard Davenport. Another question over here? Yes, ma'am. She said that, can you explain the order of God, man, then woman as far as prayer and spiritual covering, right? Understand that we're all responsible. Revelation talks about how we will all stand before the throne of God, individual, okay? So in the unit of marriage, what well, God is ahead of us all. He did not say, wives, love your love." the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul after you love your husband. No, we're all commanded to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul with everything within us. That is individual. When you get married now, God honors the leadership of the husband. That's the order. God honors the leadership of the husband and tells us to be subject to our husband. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about being subject one to another. There are going to be times and seasons in your marriage, in your, in your lives where you know, your husband might need to submit and yield himself to what you might decide. You might, you know, but in general, the wife is to be subject unto her husband. Allow him to be the leader. Allowing him to take the, I mean, God commands him to take the responsibility. Understand that when, when Adam and Eve, when that happened, God was on Adam because Adam failed at his responsibility. He's the one that was disobedient. The redemptive work had to come by way of Jesus being the second Adam. Do you understand that? So you're still responsible for, we have our own relationship with, our, with God. That's so individual. And I'm telling you, it's so necessary because there's going to be times where he acting crazy. You don't want him praying for you. <laughs> and vice versa, okay? So it's imperative that we have our own relationship with our God. My husband, I thank God. Someone just said it to me today that she thanks God that she has a husband that knows how to pray for her. She's going through some things, and she just thanks God that she has a husband that knows how to pray for her, vice versa. So, you know, there's still the spiritual covering. For the single woman, you know, for you, you're married unto the Lord. So your relationship with God is even more vital. And he does a pretty good job. It's not a, it's not a God's will be done because for the woman, she, she, you know, she was created for that purpose. But at the, at the same time, is it simply a matter of faith? Because you have ran that question past me before. Is it simply a matter of faith? It's not simply a matter of faith. I believe that there are very practical things that we need to do, which is what I was talking about. Showing interest, reciprocating friendship and conversation, um, being... Uh, a, a companion more than being combative, you know, being, you know, so all those things, uh, sh- uh, showing yourself friendly, those are very practical. Those are very behavior. Those are very intensive. I mean, intentional. So, you know, and, but your faith will show you how to do that. Your faith will reveal to you, okay, what, what, how can I do this? I know for me, I was not in faith to be married. I had just shut the door, locked it up, and threw away the key, sat down on my dining room floor, floor, purged for two hours, said, God, it's just me and you. Seven days later, I meet Joe Gregory. 
I was not in faith to get married. I was not interested in dating anyone at all. But when the opportunity presented, when I meet him, and I didn't even like him when I first met him. He treated it like it was a job. He interviewed me. So <laughs> he did. So I didn't really like him. And I can't even say that I was super spiritual. Mind you, I'm, I'm, I'm still wet from being baptized a few weeks ago. So I wasn't somebody that was praying and fasting and, and all that stuff. I, nothing. So for me to, but what happened after I met him, I go up to the balcony with my friend. I tell her, God just told me I just met my husband if I play my cards right. I had never had such an experience in my, uh, at all. Was I in faith? No. Was I, but was it very practical? Did I respond? Did I reciprocate interest? Did I entertain his crazy questions? Did I answer the phone when he called me? Did I? Yes. I, I wasn't, you know, and I will say this. A friend of mine now, I had heard through the grapevine that somebody had been watching me. I had. And so a friend of mine, a guy friend of mine who's now a pastor out in Texas, we, we, we sort of worked together, and we were at Rama together. He came to my apartment and said, Pat, I need to talk to you. I said, what? He says, uh, oh, no, no, no. But my, uh, who is now my husband? We were talking. We were friends. And I was at Rama. It was my first year at Rama, so we had only known each other. Joe, pastor Greg and I had only known each other for about six or seven months. He comes to, to my apartment and says, Pat, I need to talk to you. I said, okay, what? He says, you know what? You're a nice person, but I know you. I've known you for a long time. But every man wants a sweet woman. He wants to have someone that is nice, that's sweet. Not someone with a chip on their shoulder, grimming, you know, and that was me. I, I mean, I was nice. If I didn't know, my natural look, I'm Asian. I mean, just, just if I don't smile, I just look mean. Yeah, so if I don't smile, so it's not that I was mean or grim, and it's just, but I had to be extra conscious to be approachable. And I learned, as cute as I thought I was, I was not approachable. So, I mean, I'm not saying that's you, but I'm just saying those are practical things that I think a lot of times church ladies overlook or don't think is as significant or important in this here relationship process. But also being that person that, like I said, thirsty versus interest. A man can detect when she, especially in church, they come in. 80% of them want a husband. They come, I mean, gentlemen. So when you're like, okay, and I sashaying past them every time, you know. I hope I addressed your question. Okay. Anything else? We are. 8.30. Anybody else? I want to be sure to. Okay. Praise God. Did you all get something out of all this? I, I, I certainly hope you did. Understand that there is no greater life than the single Christian life. I mean, I mean that sincerely. Whether you are married or not, there's no greater life than to be free in him. Amen. It's not. As a single woman, like I said, I wasn't, 
you know, spitting and tearing and, 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 and praying and, you know, I served my little twice a month and everything else. So I can't say I was super spiritual at all. Like, and I thank God I didn't have a history of church. I didn't. Had not stepped foot into a church until I was 20 years old. Never. And I thank God for that. Because I did not be, develop a religious disposition about life and behavior. And I got a chance to meet Jesus exactly who he, as he was for me. And I got a chance to embrace all the love he had for me without any preconceived notions of what being a Christian was like. And I tell you, once I grasped that, there was no greater comfort and liberty than my being. And that's why I said I was not at all interested in dating or marrying nobody. I was just enjoying me and Jesus. I could go out, have a good time, and not go to the doggone doctor's appointment seeing if I need some penicillin. I did not, I didn't need a little drinky drink to feel that high. It was just, I was just high on the Holy Ghost. And I tell you, there's no greater life than that. And until you can enjoy him and all he, he is to you, no person will ever, ever measure up. He's not out there, girls. She's not out there, guys. Because we all have our flaws. We all are perfection being perfected. Amen. So what I want to do, I don't want to take, you know, I know I'm in the midst of family, but I don't want to take for granted that someone here may not know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And if that's you, you don't know for sure. You assume that because you go to church, you're a pretty decent person that you